Well, welcome to Horizon. If we haven't met, my name is Steve Armanderis, one of the assistant pastors here at the church, and uh, always blessed when Pastor Bob asks me to uh, come and share the word of the Lord. And uh, he's getting uh, a little bit of break, but he's actually working because uh, he's working hard on that upcoming marriage series, Marriage Vowels. And I'm looking forward to that, and I'd encourage you to be praying for him as he's getting some time away to get his thoughts together to uh, share that six-week series. Uh, Pretty awesome to look forward to. Can we thank the Lord for... Guys, it's been like, how many months have we been outdoors and no rain? Man, how awesome is that? I think uh, all the churches in California that are meeting outside rejoice and see God's goodness and His grace there. And certainly a little chilly, but... Hey, we could be under like feet of snow or ice or something like that, so nothing to complain about there. Well, if you have your Bible, open up to the Gospel of John chapter 3, and uh, Lord, we just want to pray that our hearts would be tuned to heaven. Lord, that our ears would be open to hear the word of the Lord, and Lord, in this time of teaching, your spirit would move. Lord, that you would be honored and glorified. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, maybe you're aware, maybe you're not, but this is the last day of the first month of 2021. It's the month of January, and I don't know if you ever think about the names of months in January and February and and March, and who thinks of these things? And there is actually a reason why we call this the month of January, and it goes back a long time. We use the Gregorian calendar, and The name January, the month January, was named after the Greek god Janus, J-A-N-U-S. And he was the god of the beginnings and the ends. And he, in the minds of the Romans, presided over every entrance coming in and every departure going out. Because every door and passageway looks in two directions. And Janus was seen as the two-faced. Do we have him up? There he is. Yeah. And, you know, some of you think, well, yeah, that's the uh, Janus Investment Fund. No, Uh, that's not what it is. He was known as Janus Bifrons, two faces, the God who looked both ways. And, you know, that is really kind of what happens in the month of January. I don't know if you you notice this, that toward the end of the year and the beginning of a new year, people kind of tend to look back over what has transpired, and they also look forward to what's ahead. And uh, this year was a little bit different because, you know, when you were kind of doing the review of 2020 and looking back for the good and the things to remember, the only thing I heard anyone say was, thank God it's over. (laughs) And it's got to be better in 2021. And so there were many who were looking forward to that. I found myself recently, just this last week, looking back a year ago because we were reminded in the news that uh, it was a year ago this past week on January 26th that Kobe Bryant died. And I'll never forget that day because it was my son Eli's birthday. He turned uh, 19 on January 26th, but a year ago on his birthday, We were coming back from visiting colleges in Texas, and Sarah and Eli and I, we had just flown in. We're there at the airport and waiting for the shuttle to take us to our car, and 
this woman, as we're there waiting for the shuttle, shrieks because she had just gotten a notification that Kobe Bryant had died. Kobe can't die. He's like young. He's like one of the greatest basketball players ever. There's no way. How on earth Cody could die? And we look around. People are crying. And, and it was kind of a, a, one of those moments where he's like, whoa, you know, where were you when JFK got assassinated? I mean, and maybe that isn't that big of a deal, Kobe, for you. But it struck a lot of people. And, and why I remember it even more so is not so much that Kobe died. is because right at that moment, we get there. I get my... I have my suitcase, and we do carry-on, and I, I reach down into my little blue Samsonite carry-on bag to get my keys, because we're going to the shuttle, and we're going to get in our car, and I unzip the top little pocket there, and to my dismay, my keys weren't in there. And I was like, oh no, check the pockets. Well, maybe, maybe I put it in a different pocket, so I dig deep, I unzip the big main pocket, and someone switched all my stuff. Nothing in the bag was mine. And I'm like thinking, what on earth? You see, then I rewind, and we got on a flight, Southwest flight out of Dallas, and we were in like boarding group Q. Some of you fly Southwest. And the opportunity and chance to find a place for your bag you might as well just leave it or ship it. It's not going to get there. But as we're going through, I, right when I get into the plane, we're like in the very back of the plane, but right when I get in, I see the spot that's open. And man, I'm like, dude, my bag, it's there, and it's in the front. No one's going to mess with it. And we fly here to San Diego, and the plane deboards, and there it is, close to where I left it. And so I'm like totally freaked I pull out. Now, if you come to church just for this, this might be worth it. If you have a suitcase and it has those little name tags in the plastic thing, make sure you fill that out with your name and your address and your phone number. And I pull that little thing out and sure enough, it was some other dude. And in all the years I've ever traveled in my life, I have never seen a blue Samsonite bag like mine. And so thankfully, we had that guy's name and number, and I go to the desk, and I said, oh, man, I hope this guy didn't have a, a connecting flight, and I'm going to be dead if that's the case, and our keys are gone, what are we going to do? Sure enough, she finds that he's going on a flight. He's already boarded on the plane, and he thinks he has his bag, and they're like about to leave the gate. And she calls him, and so the guy we meet, and he's running, and I'm running, and I'm like, dude, you grabbed my bag. And, you know, now I know why some people, when they go to the airport, they got like, you know, these scrunchies tied on their bag and bright pink. I'm getting like a 58 Studebaker hubcap <laughs> so that I will make sure that my bag always gets back uh, to where it needs to be. You know... I look back in a different way recently for kind of a tough reason, and that is this. Some of you know, know that uh, a week before Christmas, I did my dad's funeral, buried my dad. He was a godly man. He was a pastor for over 60 years, and uh, he had been having some health challenges and issues, and, and you know, was able to spend those last few weeks uh, of his life with him, with my mom and brothers and sisters, 
And, you know, what a, what a blessing to be able to have that time uh, with my dad. But, you know, when you are there with someone who's living their last days of life, you tend to remember... And you also kind of think about what is the future going to be like without him. And it was a very emotional time, but it was such a beautiful time. And one of the best things about that time for me, in remembering and celebrating his life with family and friends, um, was also just that time just one-on-one with him. And, you know, I found myself reading the Gospel of John out loud to my dad. And it was just one of those times where I'll never forget because, you know, you can sometimes be familiar with something, and yet there's something new in it. And that is no more true anywhere else than when it comes to the Word of the Lord. And as I was reading in the Gospel of John, I came to chapter 3, and it's probably the most well-known passage in all of the Bible, at least the verses before this, but it was a few verses after John 3.16, and beginning in verse 18, where things just kind of I really felt like in these four verses, God just pinged my heart. And that's our text this morning in John chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. We read this. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know, uh, There's so much in this verse, and we can spend months unpacking all that's here. But this verse really speaks a lot. It's Jesus talking, and he refers to the only begotten Son of God. And this thought and this idea gave birth to an acronym that is very prominent in church history. You see, the idea... I think you've probably seen this symbol before. When I was a kid, I used to see these bumper stickers everywhere on the back of station wagons. Ixoy. What is Ixoy? Well, it's a fish. And, and I always said, it, I, oh, there's another Ixoy fish. But later on, when I studied Greek, I realized that it doesn't say Ixoy. It actually says ichthus, and that's the Greek word for fish. And for the early church, this was something very important, very prominent, because the early church was under persecution in Rome. And many times, Bible studies like this, it was a church service, it was impossible to happen. The church would meet in private, in secret somewhere. And you never knew where the meeting was going to be. It was going to be at Jim's house, or Bill's house, or Sue's house, or different places at different times. And one of the ways that they would communicate, because of the fear of persecution, you're walking in the street, and you'd kind of just draw with your sandal this squiggly line pointing to the direction and, you know, just kind of a random thing. And then the other person would finish the other line. And, and there was a way that the church would communicate with one another. And, and, but this really, this acronym, it's beautiful. The I, Iota, for Iesu, that's the Greek name for Jesus. Literally, it means Yahweh's salvation. Yahweh or Jehovah saves. And then, not only do we have that, but we have the, the chi, the x, the Christ, it's, and it's the first word, Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who would bear the sins of the world, the one who would provide the covering for the sins of the world. And then that middle letter, it looks like an O with a little line through it, it's actually a Greek theta, and it's the first word, theos, it's the first word for God. And then uh, there you have the, the capital, upsilon, it looks like a y, and it's the 
Greek word weos, which is the name son, and then you have the sigma, which is the S there at the end, and that's the Greek word sotor. And so it was an acronym for the church, and it became a sign and a symbol for the church. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And we see in verse 318 those elements of, of who he is, and that has had such an impact on the church. And, you know, important to understand that and important to know that. You know, we can see things but really not see what's going on. We can be somewhere and really sometimes be completely unaware. Like, did you know that this morning you were sitting in ichthus? You're sitting in the fish. What? So the architects, when we were designing the church many years ago, built here in the courtyard the ichthus fish. And, and so, you know, you can look over here on the right side, and you know, there's kind of the curve, and there's the point. And then out here, if you look back this way, this to the right is the bookshop, and over here is some offices, and the tail is over here. And so there's the nose and there's the fish. But wait a minute. Well, you know, we got you covered if you're over on this side too, because if you look over here, there's the point of the fish. And then back over here toward the cafe is one of the fins of the fish and back to the 300 room and kids church. Well, there's the tail of the fish. And so um, we got the fish that looks both ways. Wow. So maybe we should say... Welcome to the fishbowl. <laughs> or maybe the Bob Marley fans, I feel like Jonah in the belly of the whale. Here we are. You know, here we are in the fish. But the real question is, is the fish, Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior in you? You could be here in the fish, but the real question is, is the fish in you? And that's what John 3 is asking us this morning. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. You know, I think we make, make a great mistake sometimes as Christians because we can kind of see ourselves as holy and righteous, and we can see everyone else as, well, wicked and dark. But you know, the Bible teaches very clearly that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We live in a fallen world, a world that's filled with darkness. We live in a world, the Bible says, that the whole world is under the sway of the devil, in Isaiah 64, 6, he says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We are all in darkness. And that's a condition that sometimes we don't want to think about that. Prior to meeting Christ, we were groping around, stumbling around. Which way are we going and not even realizing it? Maybe you're here this morning and you're still kind of groping around and stumbling and, and trying to find what the true meaning and hope and direction and life and peace 
Where am I going to find those? And then we come to verse 21. And I will tell you, Pastor Bob, the last couple of weeks has been talking about 21, and, and this was my 21 for 21. And just kind of been chewing on this one, and just kind of, and, and it has become like, in my mind, it is one of the most important statements and verses in the entire Bible. And if you could take home the right understanding of what verse 21 is about to reveal to us, it will change your life. I promise you. It will change your life, it'll change your perspective, it'll change what you live for and why you live. In verse 21, it says this. We're all in darkness, but he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. You know, we look at this and we think, yeah, well, you know, those who do the truth, they're like, you know, well, yeah, I'm going uh, to get my act together, and I'm not going to stay in the darkness, and I'm going to change, and I'm going to change, and then I'm going to come to the light because I got my act together now. And it's easy to see it that way. Because that's what religion would teach. Get your act together and then come. But that is not what it's saying. Those who do the truth, those who take an, exam, an examination of their life and they realize, you know what? I am jacked up. I want to think I got it all together. I want to act like I got it all together, but I've got issues. I like to do bad things. Sometimes I blow it. Sometimes I sin. There's skeletons in the closet of my past. And I just want to ignore those. I just want to forget those. But if I do an honest inventory to do the truth is not to say I'm great and everything's wonderful and everything is fine. To do the truth is to say I am in darkness and I like some bad things and I have blown it and I have made mistakes. And to do the truth is not to hide those but to humble myself and acknowledge those and own those and say, and so God, I'm bringing them to you. And that is what it means to do the truth. And so many people think well, I can't go to church because I haven't been good. But the reality of the matter is we come to church because we're not, except there is one who does make us good. Amen. And that's what verse 21 is saying here. But he who does the truth, warts and all, skeletons and everything, I bring it into the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Well, what does that mean? My deeds are done in God. That's where the Greek language really comes in to be very helpful for us. The word done in God, it's the Greek word to work. Ergodzomai. We know the, work, uh, the word work, ergo, I got to go to work. And the Greek language is so beautiful, it's so specific, it really unfolds and unpacks so much for us. And it the tense of the Greek can totally, completely change the word. And this is one of those cases where it certainly does that. You see, the word ergodzomai, to work or to do, is a perfect, passive, plural, neuter, participle. What does that mean? The perfect tense describes an action which is viewed as having been completed in the past once and for all, not needing to be repeated. What? Those who do the truth come to the light that their deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been made perfect in God. We bring our darkness to the Lord, the light, and light is greater than darkness, and the darkness disappears, and it is removed. And the only thing that you can do to make the darkness go away is to come to the light. 
And he erased, he, it's, it's perfectly blotted out. It's perfectly gone. We come to the light and that happens. It's a plural tense. It means it wasn't done for just one, not just for the good people. It was done for everyone, everyone in darkness who would come to the light. He removes it. It never happened. All the skeletons are not buried and hope they're never found. They are taken and completely erased and gone. All of the guilt and all of the shame and all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the failures and all of the disappointments and the lies and the cheating and the stealing and the thefts, completely gone. And it's neuter. It's not just for men. Neuter is male or female. And friends, if we would capture what it is saying here, man, the impact that it has on our life, I believe that this is one of the greatest statements in the Bible. You see, but we have been so conditioned in our culture and society that hard work pays off. And you know what? It's true in your education. Work hard in your education. It's true in your career, in your business. Work hard and it'll pay off. It's true on the athletic field. I'm the head football coach at Horizon Prep now. And we had a good part of our team uh, here last night. And, you know, you're not just going to show up on the field and perform. There's, there's requires hard work. And, you know, in so many ways, we have carried that mentality into our relationship with the Lord. And I've got to work hard. But the great news of the gospel is uh, not when it comes to you being perfect. There's only one way, and that's to come to the one who makes you perfect, who has done the work for you. And the reason we come to church and sing these songs is because I was in darkness and he brought me to his light. The reason why we come and study the Bible is because it reminds us of who we are. And it should always be, man, I, I don't like that song. I'm not going to sing. Are you kidding me? Oh, Lord, you are so good. And I want to sing and I want to praise you and I want to thank you for who you are and the reason we give, not earn his favor. Lord, all that you've given me, you've given me so much and it's a joyful act of worship. But for so many, it's not. We don't understand it. I'm working hard and I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna make, oh my goodness. If we could just receive the light. How do I get rid of the darkness? When you walk into a dark room, your kid is crying and they're scared of the dark. What do you do? You turn the light on. Why? Because light is greater than darkness. And those who do the truth come to the light that their works can be clearly seen, that they're no longer the horrible, dark, black things that they used to be, but God has forgiven. And I am telling you, if you just understand that, that will change your life. You want to see your life change, turn the light on. You want to see your life change, come to the light. And that's what the Lord is saying through this. And so right after this, it's with this heart that Jesus began to preach. And his very first sermon recorded in Matthew chapter 4, in the very first word of his very first sermon, you know what he says? Repent. And all of a sudden, it's like the record scratches for some people. If we look at Peter's very first sermon in the book of Acts, you know what his very first word was? 
Repent. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that word repent, I get this crazy image from some movie that I saw a long, long time ago of some Southern Baptist preacher wearing a white suit with white patent leather shoes that yells and screams and spits more than I spit and is angry. Repent, you sinners, hell, fire, and brimstone, and, and repent. Well, that word is just kind of probably the most misunderstood word in the history of words. You see, the word repentance is actually a beautiful word, and my hope and prayer would be that today this word, along with John 3.21, would not become a wrong word or a dirty word, but your favorite word on the planet. You see, the word repent is a Greek word, metanoeo. Meta, another, or after, or a different, noeo, way of thinking. Metanoia. A close relative that maybe you can connect with better is the word paranoia. Now, paranoia, para, the Greek preposition, literally means beside or out of. Noia, mind. And so a person who is paranoid is not in their right mind. They are consumed by fear. Well, the idea of metanoia is after I experience something, after I realize something, after I have a new understanding, my mind is now changed, and so I have a new mind, and I should go in a new direction. And it was the heart of God and the heart of the gospel to say that in light of what Christ has done for us, there should be an impact and a change on the way that we think, on the way that we think, and the way that you think if has changed will change the way that you act. Because actions sometimes follow the way that we think, and that's how it ought to happen. And so really, the heart of repentance and this word that Jesus was saying is, I want you to think a whole different way. And that thinking of a whole different way will lead to a new direction in your life. But sadly, this word didn't come down as think in a new way. The church kind of changed the meaning of this word. And in the year 382, a guy, a very smart guy by the name of Jerome Stritton, was, was commissioned by the Pope to write a translation of the scriptures into Latin. And it would, came to be known as the Latin Vulgate. And the Latin Vulgate in Jerome's translation made the colossal error of translating metanoia as Penitentium agite. It means to change your mind, to think differently, but the way that he wrote it was, in Latin, literally, do penance. How could they do this? See, the two concepts are so radically different. It's because the early Latin scholars, who indeed recognized that the Greek word metanoia meant to change the mind, did not understand that the New Testament gospel of grace what it was all about. And consequently, since the word is hollow and requires filling, they filled the word metanoia with something other than what Christ and the apostles filled it with. They interpreted the mind change as changing your mind about how you are behaving, to regret your sinful lifestyle and to amend your life rather than as changing your mind about the way of righteousness. 
the way of righteousness has nothing to do with me changing me to be able to approach God. It's about God, me coming to God in my brokenness, doing the truth. I'm broken, I'm a wreck, and I come to light, and the light makes me righteous and holy and blameless. But instead, this idea of, well, no, you need to change so then that God will accept you. And they didn't understand that it's the righteousness that comes not from the law, but through faith in Christ. Do penance. Penentium agite. I don't know if you make the connection with the words, but the closest word that we have in our language to penitentium agite is go to prison, the penitentiary. That's where the word came out of. And so religion has us in bondage of focusing on what I got to do and what I have to change. Penance literally is an act or a hardship done to compensate for an offense. And you can work every day in your life to be better and to do better and to try harder and to not do this and to not do that. And guess what? You'll never get rid of the darkness. The heart of man is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? God says, I, the Lord, try the hearts and test the thoughts to give to each man according to his way. Many outside the church believe that that is what the Christian life is all about. And many, I believe, even here. And I will tell you this, I grew up in a Christian home and for years I lived under condemnation and guilt and shame. The guilt and the shame and a painful punishment to pay for my sin. I've got to suffer. I've got to earn this. But friends, that's what Jesus did for us. And he just says, come to the light and let me give you my righteousness. Religion says, do penance. But the gospel says, done perfect in Jesus. All my dark deeds are made perfect perfectly good, forgiven, forgotten, dissolved, removed as far as the east is from the west when I simply come to the light. So what does this have to do with me? Scripture makes it very clear. What God desires and what the original heart of repentance was to bring was a change of mind that would result in a change of life. And sadly, far too many believers do not understand this call, a change in mind that leads to a change in action. In many, it's impossible to tell the difference between those who are Christians and those who are not. Because the actions are very similar in many cases. And the Bible teaches us that God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. They're struggling and they're not enjoying the fruitful, joyful, blessed life that God has for us. Why? Because we don't truly understand what it is that Christ has done for us. And there are so many who are in a vicious cycle. And we sin because we like to sin because we're dark. And darkness is in us. Sin is in us. And we feel guilt and we feel shame. And then we feel like, oh, well, I'm supposed to repent. I've got to be punished. And so... Something bad happens in my life, and I say, oh, that was God punishing me. Whew, glad that got done with, and here I go again. I'll start again, only to sin again. 
and to feel guilt and shame and something bad happens. Oh, yeah. And I got to go and do some work and we get stuck in this horrible, vicious cycle. But let me just tell you, that is not God's way. And you could think that you see and you could think that you understand. You can think you know something, but God is saying there's, it's different than what you believe it is. It's different than the way that you're thinking right now. We know we are sinners and we need a Savior, but we're still walking in darkness and not in the light. Our mind has to be changed. The world is dying to see people who have been impacted by the grace and goodness of God to begin to think in a different way. But sadly, I was sharing with some of the staff and, you know, we see these bumper stickers. They really make me mad, but I really kind of understand where they're coming from sometimes. I don't know if you've seen this bumper sticker. Lord, save me from your followers. Are we living out what we should be living out? Or this one, there's no hate like Christian love. You seen that one? Horrible. But for some who are trying to live it out and me being better and always angry and always frustrated because I can't and we're totally missing the joy and the grace and the love of what the Lord truly calls us to do. Religion says do penance, be punished. Be in guilt and shame forever. And the gospel says, done perfect. Church, what happens if we begin to live that life for ourselves? My life is made perfect in God. To come to the light and to receive that, man, oh man, there's a change that takes place. There is a something radical that happens. So what does true repentance look like? And we'll wrap our time up with these thoughts. I love what Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God is not mad at you. God doesn't hate you. God is madly in love with you. He is the light. And it looks like this. Walk out of the darkness, number one, come to the light. That's repentance. That's the first step to having a new mind, to receive the grace and the forgiveness of the Lord. Number one, come to the light. Number two, I love what Romans 12.2 says. Pastor Willie's going to come and wrap us up with a song here in just a moment. It says, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12.2 You see, we all have this fallen, faulty, Pastor Bob mentioned it last week, operating system of sin. And it's broken and it's jacked up and it's janky. And, you know, Friday night I was all done writing my message. And then... The battery died, and it was completely gone. And I had this flashback back to when I was a student at San Diego State my sophomore year playing football. Robin, in fact, was my neighbor over uh, in the Colwood Apartments there in the corner of Montezuma and Colwood Place. And I lived with two football players and a track guy, and, and I was writing my final paper for my English class. And it was an all-nighter because I'm a procrastinator. And I hear all these sirens and all this funky stuff, and I was so glad I finished. Oh, and I hit print. And it was one of those Tandy Radio Shack 80s. I mean, the, the thing had the memory the size of a pea. 
and you know, I, I started, and it started, you know, there's my name and the title of my paper, and, and the paper would roll up, and all of a sudden I hear all these sirens, and all of a sudden, power's gone. Some dude stole a car, and the police were chasing him. He's coming around the corner, turning up Montezuma Road. He jumped the road and hit the transformer. And it was completely gone. You see, God has a desire to instill in you and I a completely brand new operating system. It will never have a virus. It'll never fail. It will never glitch out. It will never lose power. And we have been downloaded with the system of this world and the way of thinking that is completely contrary to the gospel and the good news and the freedom and the love and the life of Jesus Christ. And that is why it is so important that we read the word. No longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God brings freedom. He wants to bring new life. He wants to give us a new operating system. And then I love what Peter said in Acts 3, verse 19. Repent, he says, repent. And when you have this new mind, why? That times of refreshing may come. Some of you here, your life is stagnated. Maybe even your walk with the Lord is stagnated. Maybe you've been a believer for a super long time. Keep coming to Jesus. Keep allowing him to renew your mind. He will show you something new every day when you spend time in his living word. And it will bring a freshness and a vitality to your life that you've never known. I love the, in, in the last chapter of Job, he had suffered so much. He had been humbled. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his servants. He lost his health. And his own wife said, just curse God and die. Why are you even living? And in chapter 42, Job had this radical transformation when God questioned him about things. And it tells us that Job repented. And his life was revived. His life was renewed. His life was restored. And God restored to him double of everything that he lost. And so let me just tell you, friends, the Lord says, come. Come to the light. And as we do, new life, a new way of thinking to let go and to hold on to him. You know, as we prepare to leave this morning, let me just share this with you with all sincerity and in all love. Nothing is more important than to make sure that you have the right bag. In one, there's darkness and regret. And we all have that bag. You packed it. It's yours. But there is another that's been packed by God who created you. And in this bag, you will find no guilt, no shame, no punishment. But it's only filled with unconditional love. And it offers a new mind, it offers a new beginning, it offers a new hope, and in it are the keys that will get you home.
Jesus is calling. Come to the light. And let me renew your mind. And let me give you a new life and a new hope and a new peace. And church, you answer that call. No penance, no punishment, no wrath. The day has come to leave the prison chain gang of religion and be freed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor Willie.